Today we're continuing the sermon series called Meant for More, and we're going to be talking about how more is meant from going from full to empty. Now that sounds like it's in reverse, doesn't it? It sounds like a, a, a misnomer, because when we think of empty, we often think of things like, well, empty's not good because it means it's finished or it's done or it's over or it's void. And on the other hand, full, we have more positive images of what is meant by full. It draws our attention more toward being satisfied or well or complete, whole, full. But what we're meant for is to go from full to empty in the spirit of our Christ who was so full of God and the love of God that he emptied himself on a cross. But before that, in his life and in his living, as Brandon has already talked about, he emptied himself by sharing that love of God with a world in need. And one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible is the one we're going to be reading from today, from 1 John, now that's not the Gospel of John, but way back in the back, 1 John, the third chapter. This is sometimes called the love one another chapter, our God is love chapter. But I want to pick out just a few verses that we're going to focus on today, uh, beginning with verse 16. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We know love by this, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God love, God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children, don't you love that? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I want to unpack um, this passage for just a moment. You know, I find it amazing that, uh, that John's gospel, uh, John 3.16, so parallels 1 John 3.16. And, and we all know, I think if we had uh, uh, just kind of as a, a responsive reading, John 3.16, uh, that we would nearly say every word together perfectly. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You know when we read that passage we we center on the action of God laying himself out emptying himself giving himself to the world and that means to you to me an action that we're called to is believing that Jesus is the son of God. And if we believe, 
then John 3.16 talks about that, that reward. You shall inherit eternal life. You won't perish. You'll be given eternal life. And then we turn to 1 John 3.16, and it speaks in much the same language about the loving action of God in Jesus Christ, how he laid down his life for others, how he emptied himself for others. And then the truth turns to Jesus' words spoken directly to those of us little children, then we ought to lay down our lives just as Jesus did for others. I love that text. It's quite simple. It's quite straightforward, just like all of 1 John really is. I mean, he's talking to adults, I'm sure, but he's talking to us little children in a way that is so enduring. You know, I've got a confession to make to all of you this morning. And that is, it saddens me these days to find myself nearly sometimes having to excuse the use of the word Christian. Now that's quite a confession coming from a Christian pastor. But, but I want us little children to think about Christian today. And what it means to people who are not part of the Christian tribe, who look at us from the outside and criticize. You know, to many secular people, to be a Christian means to be a separatist, a bigot, uh, arrogant. And, and that's unfair. But because that's the perception of many on the outside, we have to deal with why is that perception there? You know, the world that we're commissioned to love into relationship with Jesus Christ, the, the world that we're called to transform uh, through our following of Jesus is very suspicious of we Christians. Now, have you ever seen these directories, these, the yellow pages, as if anybody looks at the yellow pages anymore? Uh, my dad was looking for something in Dallas yet just this last week, and he said, could you look in the Dallas Yellow Pages and see if they have what? I said, I don't even know if I've seen the Dallas Yellow Pages in a long time. But the Yellow Pages I'm talking about are the Christian Yellow Pages. They come in different names. Have you seen those? I mean, they're, they're businesses, just businesses, Christian businesses. Well, I haven't been able to find one lately, but I did Google and sure enough, listed as Christian Yellow Pages was this Google site. I'm not going to tell you the name of it because I'm afraid you'd go on it. But it said this. If you're looking for a Christian accountant in Denton, Texas, a Christian chiropractor in Plano, or a Christian attorney in Dallas, then our businesses. Our business has the Dallas-Fort Worth Christian businesses that you're looking for. There's something about that that rubs me the wrong way. Does it rub you a little the wrong? I, it may be me. I may be in a funk right now about this Christian thing. 
But we heard just this past week, our former president, President George W. Bush, who many of us admire his humble Christian walk and his real, genuine personality, he used the word nativism. Did you hear it? And he was referencing a concern that he has for our country that we're falling into a nativism mentality or ideology. And by that, he, he was pointing to a nativism uh, ideology as one that kind of sees an us and a them approach, that, that we are real Americans and those perhaps immigrants or those who don't look like us, they are not, they're, they're not part of us. And he said, this is not American. It's nativism. Now, as he was talking about that, I thought about how we Christians sometimes fall into nativism. How, how it's one thing to be Christian, it's another thing to be Methodist or Baptist or whatever. And, and pretty soon, you know, I think about those Christian yellow pages and I'm thinking that they're not only looking for Christian businesses, but maybe we can come out with a Methodist Christian businesses or, or maybe a Baptist Christian businesses because, you know, we, we want to make sure that we're just trading with our own folk, you know, that sort of there's something wrong with that. And Christians in the Judeo-Christian tradition, before we had the Ten Commandments, the main commandment that we had, the commandment that Abraham was introduced to, was a commandment of Supreme hospitality. You welcome the stranger when the stranger comes into your midst because the stranger may very well be an angel or God. So there's something about the Christian yellow pages that smacks of religious sectarianism that should cause us all pause. You know, it, it makes Christianity sound like an exclusive club, and we can't afford for Christianity to be viewed as an exclusive club. We have to see Christianity as an inclusive, loving club of God where all are welcome. Because when we start setting the Lord's table and we start saying who can be there and who can't, then we can never make the Lord's table small enough if it's just for those who believe like I do. For tomorrow, you may be the one asked to leave the table. You know, there are Christians who are quick to tell others that they're going to hell or these are holy and these are not holy. There are Christians today who believe that if you're a real Christian, you vote this way, you don't vote this way. And in the name of Christianity and other religions are just as guilty People have been burned at the stake, lynched, herded into gas chambers, suffered all kinds of atrocities, and the religious name promoted. So, so you know, it's hard sometimes when you think of, 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 of the rap Christians are getting to, 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 to be a Christian or Christian pastor. 
And I guess that's why today I just love it when, when, when John is talking to us, we Christians, and instead of calling us Christians, he says, little children, little children. Like John's a grandfather and he's, he's welcoming all of us to sit at his feet and he wants to teach us some things about Jesus. And he says, little children, love. God is love. Love one another. There's something that is so enduring about the term little children. And earlier in the third chapter, John reminds us that so far as the world is concerned, people will see us the way that they want to see us. But the Jesus followers need to be careful to understand who we are, that we're those who follow Jesus' way, his way of love, his way of acceptance. And what is crucial is that we understand what it means to be God's children and to walk in the truth of Christ. Now, according to John, as children of God, we're called to be like Jesus. Simple. And the truth is that just because we recognize ourselves as children of God, those little children at John's feet, that doesn't mean that we are anything extra special or up on a pedestal or should gloat about who we are. We understand ourselves as still broken, still imperfect people who are sinners that stray away from God's way. But we understand that God is the God who forgives us and who loves us. The God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance and on. And when we understand that kind of love and acceptance and the truth of who Christ is, then as followers of Christ, we can understand ourselves so full of love, so full of forgiveness, that we can empty ourselves of that same kind of love and forgiveness with a world that so desperately needs to experience it. You know, on Sunday mornings around here at 9.30, our youth are volunteers on this campus. Their youth director, Sarah and Scott Luganville, felt it was very important and came to me a few years ago and said, let's don't do Sunday school at 9.30. Let's move a Bible study class at 11 because our, our real big class is in the evening anyway when all the kids come together. And at 9.30, we want to teach our children to be servants. And so we see them around the campus. They're at the welcome centers or at, they're at the doors greeting people or they're running the cameras in the Thrive service or they're helping to teach Sunday school with the little children. They're all over the campus. They're serving. They're learning what it means to be the little children of Jesus. And last week, um, I was attending the Thrive service and listening to Scott preach and all of a sudden on one of the cameras there was a youth who was running the camera and and he he just fell and the camera crashed and it was quite a commotion and 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 he didn't fall because of Scott's sermon it wasn't that bad <laughs> but 
come to find out, Ryan had kind of had a late night, maybe didn't eat enough breakfast and was standing there running that camera and maybe locked his knees as I've seen uh, groomsmen do from time to time and he just fainted. But we didn't know it at the time. Everybody was rushing to take care of Ryan. And by the time I made my way across the room, there were already four doctors there and two nurses. You know, Ryan couldn't have fainted in the hospital and got better care. <laughs> it was amazing. And when we finally saw that he was going to be all right, the um, 911 had already been alerted, the EMTs were already on their way and, and, and making their way into the room and we were all relaxing a little bit more. But I heard that in the first grade class, that they heard the, um, the ambulances coming up and onto the campus. And, and, and their youth volunteer, Reese, uh, a sixth grader, he, he heard all of this commotion. And, and, and Reese, he didn't know what was going on. He didn't know who, was, who they were here for. He just knew that they were here for somebody at Lover's Lane. And so he just started to pray. Out loud, he said. And then an amazing thing happened. The little children, the first graders, they started praying too. And you know, that's, that's, that's what it's all about. You know, I had to call Reese yesterday and say, you know, I've heard this story about you. Is it true? And he didn't even really think about it much. But he said, yeah, it's true. I said, I want to thank you on behalf of Lover's Lane. For teaching our children, one of the most loving and important actions in time of need is to pray for another. You know, sometimes the loving action of prayer is the great action we can first take. And sometimes it's moving beyond our speech as John told us, little children, and moving our love into action, being the hands and feet of Jesus. You know, sometimes it is just a pure joy to be a Christian pastor, and even a double joy to be the pastor here of Lover's Lane. And sometimes it's more difficult. You know, a couple who are very much in love contacted the church about getting married this Sunday. I mean today. And they contacted the church like on Monday. And they'd not been through the, you know, traditional channels of getting the counseling that they need and that we encourage and setting up the church in advance so that we could make sure everything was kind of clear and all of this. And, and, and yet we discovered the haste was largely due to one in this couple being diagnosed with a pretty serious cancer and realizing that in no coming days she's going to be in the midst of fighting this disease and all of the treatment and all that that involves and so Sunday 
Now, they're active members here, and I want to tell you that they're welcome. The way they were welcomed here has changed their lives. The one who's dealing with the cancer wrote an email, and I've got to share it with you. She said, a little over a year ago, I paced back and forth in the parking lot of our church arguing with God about going in. I'd been devastated by my church home almost 15 years prior, and I still wasn't ready. And I've always loved God, but I wasn't ready for the people in the church, the Christians. And that day I gave it to God and I trusted him. And in the last year, I have been met with nothing but love and acceptance. Even my children who never ever wanted to go to church have attended services with us. And I have known that our church and congregation as a whole are truly amazing, set aside from so many other churches. And I have been the recipient of so many blessings there inside our walls, but also outside our church walls, working with our church to serve the world. And I am honored to be part of a church that doesn't just say we love all, but proves it in every action. And today I'm overwhelmed by the outpouring of love and support that Lover's Lane has shown us. And I will never be able to formulate the correct words of appreciation uh, that we both have. And to say thank you seems so simple, but thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for everything. My heart is bursting with all the love I feel, and I'm honored that you all love us so much. And thank you for every word. Thank you for every action. Thank you for being the loving hands of God. Thank you for showing me what love truly is, and thank you for the healing that each of you has given me through our Lord. I'm humbled. Our God is good. He's very good all the time. Thank you again. <laughs> wow. What do you do with a letter like that? Well, you read it to the congregation and then you frame it. Are you not proud of this church? Are you not humbled? To read such a, a passionate thank you for love and acceptance. But it's hard to be a Christian pastor sometimes. And I had to tell her 
before I got this letter, actually. The letter came after I had to tell her that we couldn't have her wedding here. Because our book of discipline, our church law, won't allow us to have a wedding for two people, even though they're in love and even though the state says it's okay, if the couple's of the same gender. We just can't do it. What's a Christian pastor to do? Now, now some of you, I mean, I've been around the horn a few times. Some of you will hear what I'm about to say is good news, and some will not. Because what I have to say is of a controversial nature. And that is this couple accepted what I had to say in saying you can't have the wedding here. And furthermore, none of our clergy can officiate. But, but here's the news. I decided to share this plight of the Christian pastor with a few of you. I think eight. And everyone replied, tell them to come to our house. We'll have the wedding at our house. And you, you know, it, it reminded me of something that we need to never forget. And that is this church and our property is not the church. It's the building. It's the property. The church is you and me. And our relationship with God. And, and some of us hear God saying... No, in relation to this controversial matter. And some of us say, I heard God say, open the door. And who am I to say? You're wrong. A United Methodist pastor can't officiate at such a wedding according to the law of the church. But we United Methodist pastors have to continue to lead our little children, you Christians, into loving acts of acceptance that changes people's lives and causes them to write a letter such as this. It's tough being a Christian pastor these days. You know, during World War II, 
There's a story about a bomb that struck a, a statue outside of a church in a French village. And the church building was destroyed and this statue was blown to smithereens. And after the fighting had ceased, the villagers decided that they would try to gather up the pieces of the Christ statue, an outstretched arm Christ, and they began to piece this statue back together. And they could find nearly every piece. It, it came back together in a very rough state, but the hands of this Christ had been pulverized. And so you get the picture. Here is this remade statue of, of Christ with outstretched arms but no hands. And one of the members said, Christ without the nail-pierced hands is no Christ at all. And then someone suggested, well, why don't, we, why don't we just commission another marble statue of Christ just like the one we had? And then another said, why don't we just put a bronze plaque at the base of this Christ statue? And, and why don't we say on that bronze plaque, I have no hands but yours. That's what the word Christian, Christian means. Little Christ. You are called little children to be little Christ in the world. You are called, just as I am called, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, to sometimes be the words and the prayers of Jesus, but to reach out to a world in need with the love and the acceptance that we are called to have as we spread the table wide and long, where all are welcome. Five hundred years ago, Teresa of Avila, a saint of the church, penned these words. Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on the world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth, but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body now, 
on earth but yours. Little children, be Christian. Be Christian. Little Christs. And perhaps we'll change the opinion of a skeptical world. Amen.